vampires and slayers. This is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? To which the answer to that question is, usually, every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer exactly 20 years after its original air date. Today, we are talking about the Angel two-parter that, um, actually the anniversary date is not until next week for the first part of this two-parter. And two weeks from now for the second part. But we're talking about it out of sequence because quarantines. Okay? Um, so we're talking about the two-parter on Angel Faith-centric two-parter. Five by five and Sanctuary. Um, I just started recording this episode. I mean, because I'm a process queen, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you exactly what I just went through. I've been sitting here for half an hour recording the episode and suddenly I paused it after this weird rant that I went on about Julie Benz's voice (laughs) and how I feel bad for people when they have that baby girl voice thing because people probably like focus too much on it and it just seemed really weird and so I I just stopped it. I just stopped it and I had already gone on several different weird little diatribes. I feel like this is going to be a train wreck tonight, you guys. But I'm starting over, which usually just means I'm going to be even crazier this time. I've already taken a shot of whiskey. (laughs) To set the scene for you guys, because you know I like to do that. It is 10.30pm. I'm sitting in my little closet like I always do. And, you know, um lit only by candlelight and one string of Halloween bat lantern lights. Um, They're pretty great. They're like purple, very soft, very soft glow. I have five candles lit in my little room and some of them are piddly little tea light candles. So it'll probably get darker in here the longer I've been here because eventually those are going to just burn out. Anyway, the thing is I sort of whenever it's like something that means a lot to me like this particular two-parter because it's focusing on a character that really matters to me if you guys haven't noticed faith is a big deal to me and this is the last time we're going to see her until season seven of buffy which is three years away we're not going to see her again we're not we're gonna maybe we're gonna hear her mentioned a couple of times but that's it So it's just like, this is too big of a deal. So I'm getting like nervous and I don't know how to talk about it. And (laughs) I started the half an hour ago when I first pressed record, which you guys will thankfully never have to hear. I started out with three beverages, a Cran Raspberry LaCroix, which I still have, a minty mug, Giles's minty mug replica. I mean, not a literal replica. It's just something that was found in an antique store that looks like his minty mug filled with red wine and a shot of whiskey. (laughs) I have already taken the shot of whiskey and I just, I don't know how to say what I need to say about these episodes, guys. I don't, I don't know how to do it. I mean, we're going to, we're going to try. We're going to try. I'm just going to soldier on, but luckily y'all are not in the dark. If you come away from listening to this particular episode of my podcast going, what the fuck? She went on so many random rants. I just feel like she didn't even say what needed to be said about this particular episode. If you come away thinking that, don't feel bad. There are lots of great um, 
criticisms and analyses of this particular two-parter of Buffy out there in the world. Um, yeah, <laughs> I don't, I just feel like I'm not going to do this justice. Part of it is I, I sh probably should not have made the decision to do this two-parter all at once. I figured that it would make sense to do that. Um, but I, it's, it's just been a lot of work to watch two episodes of a show in a day, taking copious notes, doing lots, lots of, lots of research. Um, it's just, it's taken many, many hours already and it's 1030 at night and I just started the podcast over. Okay, let's take a deep breath. How are you guys? How are you doing during quarantines? For the most part, I'm doing okay. Like I'm surprisingly comfortable with doing absolutely nothing. Plus I've had the amazing fortune to, um, I have a, a tarot reading Etsy shop. It's under Mixtress Tarot. If you're interested, all my readings are half off for the foreseeable future, at least throughout my personal quarantines. As soon as I go back to work at the library, I might have to make them full price again, just because it's going to be harder for me to schedule them. But anyway, I have had the personal fortune to be able to do a lot of readings for people in the last few weeks. And it has seriously been, I almost want to say it's been saving my life, but I wasn't in a super bad place, but it has been really giving me purpose and making me feel just really good about the world. I don't know, just the fact that I'm able to help people in some small way, um, talking them through some of the shit that they're going through right now, um, in a very small way, I'm able to help someone. Um, it's just making me so happy. I'm so, so glad to do it. So if you're one of those people that has gotten a reading from me, y'all are the best. I love you so much. Um, someday, I mean, I've been able to get like a slight taste. This is just a stupid little personal note. Sorry if you're not into that, but every once in a while I'm gonna go on a personal rant. That's just how I am. I've been able to get like a tiny taste of what it might be like to be a tarot reader full-time because right now I'm I usually work at a public library, but it has been closed for a month and we, I don't know, like the board's going to meet on Monday. They might decide to stay closed longer. If they don't decide to stay closed longer, then we're going to reopen next weekend. So possibly by this time next week, when I'm talking about the next Buffy episode, which is called where the wild things are, I think, um, can't really see my calendar cause you know, candlelight, it's kind of dark in here. Um, I, we might be going back to work a week from today, but I've been able to kind of, kind of get a taste of what it might feel like to be a full-time tarot reader. I, I haven't quite had enough readings that it would be a full schedule, but since I'm not doing, um, my other big job right now, um, it's, it's, it's kind of a nice little glimpse into another world. Like if I could be if I could make a living being a tarot reader, I think, I think it would kind of be awesome. 
possibly. So, um, I don't know. It's, it's a beautiful thing. I, I don't think it's like something that I'm going to be able to sustain anytime soon. You know, I'd have to make a lot more money at it to be able to support myself at that exclusively. But this was just like a little window into like, maybe someday I will get to that point. And now I know how much I enjoy doing it. So I might be more motivated to push on to possibly making that goal happen for me someday, essentially. So anyway, just weird little diatribe, diatribe. I don't think that's the word. I feel like I've forgotten how to talk and now I have to talk about two really important episodes in the faith story arc. I'm sabotaging myself over here, you guys. Anyway, how do we even start talking about this? How do we even do it? I almost just want to like not even look at my notes and just talk, <laughs> but I think I need my notes to focus me. Um, okay. Let's just start going. Let's just start going with the notes. Okay. The episode five by five. At the beginning, Angel is trying to convince some dude to testify against Wolfram and Hart. So this is just a way to like remind us of who Wolfram and Hart is because they're going to be a part of this storyline. We see Faith arrive at the, in LA. Um, we're supposed to think that it's only been like a week. I guess they just didn't know when these episodes were going to air because the actual length of time between the last time we saw Faith on Buffy by the time this episode airs at the end of April, it's been two months. So most of the time the Buffy verse goes with real time in the space between episodes, but I mean, that gets muddy when they don't know when the episodes are going to air. So I guess they thought that this was going to air right after the arc on Buffy instead of there being, you know, there's been at least, I mean, there's been essentially two months between the two episodes. So yeah, that's just a stupid little continuity error. But anyway, so Faith arrives in LA. Like what has she been doing in the last two months? I'd really like to know, but we're supposed to think it's only been like a week. Um, she arrives with her chunky boots, her beautiful chunky boots. And you know, just by seeing her boots that it's her. And you're like, yes. And, um, I just made a silly note because I am who I am and I'm obsessed with tarot and numerology as it relates to tarot. <laughs> She's wearing, um, a like sportsy shirt that has the number 62 on it and six plus two equals eight. And the number eight in tarot is the strength card. Also sometimes the justice card, depending on the deck. For some reason, those two cards switch places in different decks, but most of the time it's the strength card. And I, that card is about overcoming your animal instincts and sort of learning to control your id and learning to control your own animal instincts, that kind of thing. And I don't think unless the people that work in costuming on Buffy the Vampire Slayer are also obsessed with numerology slash tarot that they meant to have that little reference. But the beginning of this story arc for Faith, she is in the process of learning to ascend 
learning to kind of rein in her values and figure out what her values are and kind of move past that. If you're thinking of things in the terms of id, ego, and superego, which I don't usually do because I'm not a Freudian girl, but if you don't, if you don't know those concepts, just briefly, I think Freud was just sort of theorizing that there are three aspects of humanity, id, ego, and superego. And the id is just like pure animal instinct. It's, you know, you're only thinking about your immediate wants. You're not thinking about anyone else. And that's kind of the state that you're in when you're a child. And then you grow up and like, you know, around adolescence and your teenage years, you're more in ego state where you're learning that there are rules in society and you're figuring out how to move within the world and you become aware that other people exist and you're trying to figure out how to move within the spaces and you realize that what you do affects other people and you just become more nuanced and less selfish. And superego is when you just kind of go too far and you become like this hyper moralistic follow by the rules. Do not ever overstep any bounds of anyone ever kind of thing. Superego is like um, the, the great YouTuber that does reviews for Buffy and Angel called The Passionate Nerd. Definitely check out his videos if you like that kind of thing. Um, he made a comparison between the three slayers that we've met so far in the series and like basically faith is id buffy is ego and kendra is super ego and that makes sense because like kendra was like super obsessed with following the rules she was just like never ever ever getting giving into any of her animal instincts so really ego being a balance between those two things is the strength card in tarot. <laughs> I know you guys didn't come here for tarot things, but um, it's one of my main obsessions. So it really is that. It's learning to balance those two things, learning to balance humanity and interconnectedness and society with your own personal animalistic wants and needs. Anyway, <laughs> I thought that was a good comparison that he made between the the slayers and those three aspects of, you know, that kind of stuff, you know, you just take it all with a grain of salt. Like it's really fun to be analytic and put people in those little categories, but like everything is more nuanced than that. But it's interesting to just kind of, they're just like thought experiments, you know? Okay. Where are we? Oh yeah. Um, so she gets there and like the first dude that sees her tries to take advantage of her. He literally, literally starts saying, man, some guys would take advantage of a girl in your state. Like you're all alone and you're just a girl. And she beats him up, steals his leather jacket, his keys and his wallet. Um, and we're supposed to feel bad for him because she put him in the hospital. But I'm sorry, I don't feel bad for him. I don't. Like he was probably trying to like rape her or something. Why are we supposed to feel bad for him? No, thank you. Then we get an angel flashback. We're going to get, I think, four of those in this episode. I don't, we don't get any at all in the second part, but in this five by far, by five by far, five by five episode, we do get 
and I understand what they're doing. At one point, I turned to my mom and I was like, it's almost as if they're trying to make a parallel between Angel and Faith. <laughs> I, If they were executed better, which I get, this is a low-budget show. They probably just didn't really have the budget to make these flashback period scenes really good they just they never are part of it is the limitations I think at this point in time I think David Boreanaz has really grown as an actor just like um Mark Blucas who p plays Riley he's also really grown as an actor since he started like I think both with Mark Blucas who played Riley and David Boreanaz who plays Angel both of them it was like it was like their first role when they were on Buffy and it shows like Angel doesn't really have David Boreanaz doesn't really have a whole lot of nuance like at this point he's still learning <laughs> like he's just so terrible in these flashback scenes poor guy anyway I think he's a really nice guy I've heard anyway it seems like it but man I just every time <laughs> Every time um, Julie Benz, who plays Darla, is on screen, my mom's like, ugh, Rita. Because <laughs> she also played Rita on Dexter. So I just had to, I just had to share that little moment. Okay. So we get, the first flashback for Angel is, I just wrote an Angel flashback. That's all I wrote. But I think the very first one was the one where Darla comes home with the Romani girl, which they call Gypsy which, you know, it's kind of a slur, so we don't say gypsy anymore. He com She comes home with the Romani girl and offers it up, offers her up to Angel. And it's real creepy. He, like, pulls up her dress, and the way that he kills her is through sucking all her blood out of her inner thigh. So it's establishing that Angel was not always a good boy. <laughs> Angel has done very bad things. <laughs> So that's what the first flashback was meant to show us. And then, Hulk, I just had to write down this little dialogue exchange between Angel and Darla. She offers the Romani girl to him, like it's his birthday or something, I don't know. Or just for fun, I don't know what the reason for the gift was, if there even was one. Um, and he says, what would I do without you? And Darla's like, wither and die. <laughs> In her breathy voice. Um, okay. Wesley looks so cute napping on the couch. That was my next note. So it's like morning at the office. So this is a scene between Cordelia and Wesley. And he's just like curled up on this tiny little love seat, like with his jacket over him, like just taking a nap. And there's no like reason for the fact that he's taking a nap right now. It's just like a choice that Alexis Denisoff made. Like maybe in this scene, since... Wesley doesn't have a whole lot to do. Maybe he's just curled up on the couch, you know, because it's the middle of the afternoon and he's got nothing to do. And uh, I don't know. I just thought it was cute. It's just like, oh, he's all curled up under his little suit jacket <laughs> on this tiny little couch. Okay, but then Cordelia says a problematic thing. So the guy that Angel, like at this moment, Angel has in his office with the door closed, he's got the the guy that he saved at the beginning of the episode that he's trying to convince to be a witness for something going on at a trial with Wolfram and Hart. 
And the guy's scared to do it, and he doesn't want to do it. And Angel's trying to convince him to do the right thing. And Cordelia's like, I don't think, I don't think she's going to, he's going to be able to convince him. You know, a guy with that many tattoos, I don't even remember what she says, and I didn't write it down, but she just makes like a really shitty comment about how a guy with as many tattoos as him is not going to do the right thing. Now, obviously that is a stupid problematic thing to say. However, just to provide a little context, because I am 37 years old and I remember pretty vividly what the reaction to body modifications was in the year 2000, because when was it? It was 2003 or four that I was training to be a piercer. It's just a little backstory in my life. And I first got my nose pierced. So facial piercing. I first got my first facial piercing at the age of 14. And at first in my small Midwestern town, let's see, when I was 14, that would have been the year 1997 was probably, yeah, 1997 is when I got my nose pierced for the first time had some weird complications and had to like take it out and get it re-pierced again. It was, it was a whole thing, but I was very dedicated to having my nose pierced and I still have it pierced to this day. I've had my, now I've had, I like to think about this just because it seems like such a part of my identity, having my nose pierced. It's a big deal to me. Like I've known that I wanted it since I was like, I don't know, eight or nine. I remember like one April fool's day, I put like a fake ring in my nose to freak my dad out. And he had the worst reaction. I mean, he's an asshole, but I mean, he basically was like, if you ever do that, I will disown you. I mean, that was the kind of language that like a regular, I mean, my dad wasn't necessarily a regular dad. He was an abusive dad. However, a regular dad would say that kind of shit. I will disown you if you get your nose pierced. That was not uncommon to hear in the mid to late nineties. So the year 2000 in body modification history of which I have a little bit of experience with just because I've had some body modifications and I, it it's a big part of who I am. I really think that you should be able to create your body in your image. I think it's a big deal. Like no shade to anyone that doesn't have any body, body modifications that doesn't want any, because that is your choice too. Like you get to have your body presented in the way that you want to present it to the extent of what you can change. I, like, I think that's an important thing. It's, it, I don't know. It's just, it's at the core of my being something that's important. So my hackles are raised when, when a character will say something like, well, somebody with that many tattoos obviously isn't going to be a good person, which is not a, literally what she said, but something to that effect. In the year 2000, that kind of comment might've just run right past you. Like it would have raised my hackles a little bit back then, just because I take that kind of shit personally. And the first time I saw this, even if I had seen it when it first came out in the year 2000, which I did not, I did not see Angel until many, many years later. But if I had seen it at the time, it would have raised my hackles a little bit, but it wouldn't have been that out of character for things that I heard all the time. Like I was still getting at that time it was 
probable that I could not find a quote-unquote normal job with a nose piercing. In the year 2000, I didn't even have any tattoos yet. But with a nose piercing, it would have been difficult for me to find a job. Even, like it was 2004. Yeah, it was 2004 when I got hired at the library. I've been there for 15 years. Even then, I was nervous about going in for the interview because I was afraid that they were going to tell me to take my nose ring out. And it was like the first job I'd ever interviewed for that they didn't ask me to take it out. And most of the time, they didn't even ask me to take it out. It would just be a question. It would just be sort of like an offhanded remark, like, well, of course, you're going to take out your nose ring for your job, right? There were actually a few jobs that I had gotten hired for. And then sort of that little comment of, well, of course, you're going to take your nose ring out for your job, right? And I would just straight up be like, no, I'm not. And they would say, well, you have to. And I'd say, okay, then I don't want this job. Because that was how, I mean, it seem, it might seem a little, I mean, a lot of people are willing to take their piercings out for their job, which fine, you know, do what you need to do. But I was just extremely stuck on that. Like, if you don't want me as I am, I don't want to work here. And it was just like, you know, young people hubris, but I held on to it long enough to get a job somewhere where someone did respect me. Like no one at the library ever asked me to take my nose ring out. And anyway, <laughs> that was a big deal to me. Uh, but all of that context corner was supposed to just be, that was not an uncommon thing to hear back in the year 2000. Like, people were still pretty prejudiced against body modifications. That is not the case anymore. There's a huge difference between the year 2000 and 2020 as far as that is concerned. Like, people aren't even, they don't really even react. And now, I mean, now I still have the nose ring, like, whatever. But I also have several tattoos that are visible because, you know, I have like tattoos on my forearms and like, especially in the summer when I'm wearing short sleeves, several of my tattoos are visible at any given time when I'm wearing short sleeves. And people do not, even in like a small town in the Midwest, which I still live in, people don't really react adversely to tattoos anymore. Like it's been, I've seen it shift in real time. <laughs> like it's just, you know, small victories, but like, the whole body modification thing, like, if you are under the age of 30 right now, you might not remember how hard it used to be to exist in the world with, like, there was no chance that I could get a job, any job, that wasn't, like, telemarketing. There was no chance of me getting any job when I, f with, like, purple hair or tattoos and piercings like that was not a possibility like it was really a lifestyle choice to choose to get a facial piercing or something like that back in the day okay now that I've talked about body modifications this is what I do like I have no I have no intention of talking about body modifications and then I do it for 10 minutes like I always go off the rails but tonight it seems to be extra okay whatever so Wesley looks cute napping on the couch. Okay, and then Cordelia, it's like the quote of the episode almost. She's like, you don't change a guy. 
Scratch the surface and what do you get? More surface. <laughs> I love that. Um, I think it's quite pointed that she says, you don't change a guy. Because later, I mean, this whole episode, this whole two-part arc is about changing a gal, you know? Okay. Um, then Wesley kind of says, well, anyone with a soul has the urge to do good. So at first, like you think, okay, Wesley's on the side of redemption. That's a good thing. You know, that's going to be relevant in this episode. <sighs> ah, they don't stay consistent with him. Okay, and then Angel says, you're to, when he's like talking to the guy in his office, he says, you're going to have to face your demons sometime. Um, okay, next. Sorry, I need a music cue for this one. Okay, sorry for, I'm sure that sounded terrible. I didn't want to get flagged by copywriters, so I didn't make it super clear. But anyway, the scene... Oh my god, you guys. The scene. The scene. Okay. The scene, the scene, the scene. Faith? Dancing? Like, we've seen Faith do, like, her sexy dance thing. It's, it's the thing. It's the thing that she's got. It's the thing she does very well. But usually it's because she's feeling joyful. So this is actually really, really effective plot-wise. Because we see her in a club doing the dancey thing that she does. But she, like, purposely interjects between a boyfriend and girlfriend or couple of some kind. Um, and, like, steals the guy to dance with him. Obviously, she doesn't give a shit about the guy at all. And the girl is furious. And she elbows her in the face. Faith elbows her in the face. And then the boyfriend, who was previously just a dumb guy that was just super interested in dancing with her, whatever, <laughs> letting his girlfriend be super jealous and doing nothing about it. He tries to punch Faith and she like deflects it and he ends up punching someone else. And then everyone on the dance floor is fighting while she's just dancing. And it's a really, and she has her eyes closed and it's a really effective scene. Like, this is the first time that I cried watching the episode, and I noted the time. It was 9 minutes and 30 seconds in. I was already crying. Because, to me, this is, I mean, it's just a visual thing. Like, they're kind of, the camera's panning around her, and obviously they're choosing to use the song Living Dead Girl. That's not an accident. And... She's, you know, trying to recapture that sort of joyful dancing that she used to be able to do, but it's not, she doesn't really feel it, you know? And something that the, the passionate nerd on YouTube mentioned that I thought was really interesting, like, she had her eyes closed. So the moment that she was possibly visualizing in her head was the moment when her and Buffy in the episode Bad Girls were dancing together and holding hands. <laughs> That's possibly what she was thinking back to, you know. And he made a whole argument about like all the connections that Faith has tried to have with people and how it's failed time and time again. All these connections. Um, 
and the one connection that she was starting to actually get with someone was Buffy. And now she's literally been inside her skin. So she's really, this whole thing is about mourning the loss of being able to actually make that connection. Like the only people that she's ever let herself try to be connected to were other women. She lost her mom. So that was the first big connection. Um, then she had a strong bond with her watcher who was a woman and she lost that connection. And then she came to Sunnydale specifically to find Buffy and that connection went out the window. So I don't know. The scene gets me. The scene gets me. The scene makes me cry just as much as her breaking down at the end of the episode in the alley with Angel. This whole, like, she's, it's so fucking messed up that she, like, starts this barroom brawl and then she just dances in the middle of it, just letting the chaos unfold around her. And she's trying to feel something. She's trying to feel the joy in the acts of destruction and chaos that she used to feel. Like, She's never, like, completely been okay with the bad things that she's done. She's always felt remorse, but she's trying to, she at least felt something from them. She was trying it out. She was seeing how it felt. And now that she's discovered that it feels awful and she's really hurt people and she feels like she can't come back from that, she's trying to, like, dive into it even harder. Okay. <laughs> it's just, I was, I was crying so much. <sighs> okay. Then we have the Wolfram and Hart trial. It's very brief. Like basically the guy did decide to come forward as a witness against Wolfram and Hart and they lost the trial. And then Lindsay and Lila, the lawyers that we've, Lindsay and Lila, the lawyers, la 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 that we have met before we, you know, get scenes with them where they're like pissed off about Angel and they decide they want to take him out. So they know about Faith. Okay. So here's, there's, uh, y'all know that I probably shouldn't even engage with the plot holes in these shows, but I can't not address them. So they imply to Faith once they get her to their office through weird shenanigans that happen off screen. Like Lila goes into the, to a bar and lures Faith outside. It seems like she's trying to let on that she wants to pay for sex from Faith and gets her outside to talk about the terms. And Faith was just using that opportunity of like, someone thinks I'm a prostitute. Okay, I'm gonna get her outside and then I'm gonna rob her kind of thing. It, it was it was a strange, like what happened in the bar? Like, I wanna see the moment where like, Lila's all flirting with Faith and like they're having a drink together and having some cute girl on girl flirtations because I'd be into that scene, sure. Why not? But anyway, um, so she lures her outside and then they get her into a limo and they get back to the office. And anyway, they're trying to hire Faith. 
to assassinate Angel. And in this process, they're telling her that they have read all these files on Faith. And, you know, they mentioned this and this and this and blah, blah, blah. And personal shit but we don't care about any of that what we care about is the fact that you're a slayer and you might be on our side so do you want to kill this guy and she immediately says yes and how if they've read files on faith the vampire slayer do they not realize that she lived in sunnydale and knew buffy the vampire slayer who also dated quite seriously, Angel, the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> seriously, seriously, seriously. In reality, if they had done any kind of research on Faith, they would know if, if we're supposed to really believe that Wolfram and Hart has access to all kinds of information because they're a super evil corporation, blah, 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 then they would know about all that shit and they would probably think twice about hiring her to kill Angel. Or they might think it's a good idea. They're like, hey, you know this guy. You've tried to kill him before. You want to do it again? That's all they would have had to do. You know, it, it doesn't have to be... Anyway. Okay. <laughs> so, there's that. Um. Okay. Where are we? Where's Angel's smoking blanket? Another continuity thing. Like, he comes into the trial of Wolfram and Hart, just like waltzes right in with the witness guy in broad daylight. Like, how did he get there? <laughs> Whatever. Um, Lila will make contact, but yeah, okay. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, then we get another angel flashback. This is after he's been ensouled. He comes back home and we, from the context of a conversation between him and Darla, we get the idea that he had been gone for a while and he just suddenly shows back up again and she comes home and he's there and she's like what's going on where have you been and he's just kind of mad you know he's just like sometimes they scream and you wouldn't think after all the people that I've killed that I would remember all of them and you know he's just kind of crazy and she's like what's wrong with you and he tries to hug her and she fucking flips out she pushes him away she suddenly realizes that he has a soul and she's disgusted by him and she tries to kill him i realize that like because of time i mean they made the decision to do this to have this exchange because of time because the scene needed to be very short for all the things that they needed to accomplish in this one episode but it just doesn't make any sense to me and they even mention in the scene, you know, like, how long have we been together? 140 years? So if Angel and Darla have been killing people together for 140 years, and I realize that vampires are in this world are not supposed to be capable strictly of... They're not supposed to be capable of selfless love, but they're still able to love each other. They're still able to couple for 140 years. They're still able to have some some kind of semblance of love for each other I don't think that Darla's first reaction would be I started to think did I just call her Rita no Darla I don't think that Darla's first reaction would be get the fuck out of here and then try to kill him wouldn't her first reaction naturally be oh my god you poor thing you have a soul now um well how do we fix this because at this point in the narrative 
Angel just like, he's being driven mad by his guilt, but he doesn't know what to do with it. So he would probably have welcomed, like he was going to Darla for comfort because she was familiar to him. Like, even though she's associated with evil and she still doesn't have a soul, like he doesn't necessarily even know enough to know what's happened to him at this point. Although he does kind of say what happened to him. So I guess he knows what's happened to him to a certain extent. But anyway, I don't think her first reaction would be to kill him and be disgusted by him. It would be, oh, fuck, you poor thing. Let's fix this. You know, which obviously they couldn't necessarily do. They had to show, I mean, the whole point of the narrative was to show that no one was on his side when this happened to him. And Faith has someone on her side because she has Angel. That was the whole point. And I'm not supposed to be focusing on the details that don't make sense, but you know, I got to do it. Okay. What's next? Um, and then the whole exchange, like Lindsay and Lila and some other random dude are talking to Faith, trying to hire her to assassinate Angel. And they're like, we can get you off. Lindsay says to her, and she's like, oh yeah, do you know how many times a guy said that to me? And then Lila says, I'm sure you'll be satisfied with our performance. I think that's interesting. The, the bisexuality of faith is something that I don't, I mean, I've talked before about like, I think that faith for sure has some sort of thing for Buffy, even if it's not completely a sexual thing to an extent she has a thing for Buffy, but at the very least faith respects women and doesn't respect men. So the bisexuality of faith becomes more interesting because she has sort of shown interest in women in to a certain extent, to as much of an extent as the number one, the fact that they haven't paid enough attention to Faith's character in general for us to really develop that. And number two, back in the year 2000, you were not allowed to have any gay shit on television, essentially, at all. So they were able to like definitely put some subtext in there, enough subtext to know that it was intentional, that she was probably, probably identified as at least somewhat of a bisexual character. Again, I would love, you know, I just want a whole series of really in-depth, like Anne Rice level of length and detail. I want a whole Faith the Vampire Slayer Chronicles. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and every time I say something like that, Michael's like, why don't you write it? And it's like, I can't, I can't, it can't be me. Like I have the capacity to talk like this in sort of an off the cuff way but I do not have the capacity to focus that shit. Like it's somebody else is going to have to do it. So if you're listening right now, it is needed. You know, I will, I will buy that shit. <laughs> if I were a rich person, if I ever become a rich person, I will give you an advance to write that shit. <laughs> I will use my riches for good. Okay. Ah, the world needs your story. If you have any desire to write it. The world needs it. Anyway, okay. Next note, Faith tries to crossbow Angel in public. So she goes to like the train station. Where are they? They're going to a restaurant or something. And Cordelia, Wesley, and Angel are there. 
they're going to meet like a potential client or something and they're on their way and faith comes up behind angel and tries to crossbow him of course she's done that before when she shot him with the poison dart in buffy season three um he just immediately turns around and catches the arrow like he just knew it was happening and she's like wow that was cool she's wearing a sexy denim jacket oh my god okay so just like i'm not gonna do outfit of the episode because it's basically just every single outfit that faith wears in both of these episodes is fucking fantastic i love what they did because she basically wears the same vinyl pants throughout except at the very end of the two-parter her last outfit is just black like probably black jeans they're just black nondescript pants so she goes from like super shiny black to a duller black like she's not trying to be as flashy towards the very end but she's still her which i like i don't know i just oh, i love the narratives that costume designers can tell you know <laughs> um but every single episode that faith wears is just like to me it's timeless maybe that's just because i was you know i was how old was I in the year 2000? 17. Um, yeah, I was just at that perfect age of like everything from that era is going to feel timeless to me no matter what. Like the vinyl pants, she just like wears the same pants with different shirts. And I think that makes sense because she only, you know, she's on the run. She only has one bag. So it makes sense to me that she would have like a handful of shirts handful of pairs of underwear this just the same chunky boots the same like two pairs of pants and a handful of shirts you know that makes sense all of that could fit in her knapsack I don't know just that kind of stuff like I like it <laughs> I don't know oh the vinyl pants I need some vinyl pants in my life like I used to have vinyl pants I used to have several pairs of vinyl pants but that was you know a few butt sizes ago and I need to get some that fit my current butt size because I would still rock some vinyl pants I would they were not the most comfortable things in the world but I would do it you know for the sake of timeless fashion that faith I just I just love her style so much I just love that sort of like edgy butch chunky thing you know the chunky boots the vinyl pants she always had like a belt with an in-your-face buckle um and then some kind of like you know animal print shirt or something like the first outfit that she's in in this episode she's wearing like a sleeveless snakeskin looking shirt with black vinyl pants and the chunky boots and then later she's wearing when she confronts angel with the crossbow she's wearing a denim jacket like white denim like bleach denim jacket with the vinyl pants although you know like when you think about how many jackets she has they wouldn't all fit in her knapsack anyway getting off track okay so she tries to crossbow angel like she's not really trying like she goes to confront him in public because she's trying to draw him out and when you, I didn't necessarily notice this the first like two times I saw this episode years ago but watching it with an analytical eye now it's obvious from the very beginning what she wants she agrees to killing Angel for Wolfram and Hart 
immediately without thinking, not because she actually wants to do it. From the very beginning, she wants him to kill her. She knew that she wasn't going to kill him with the crossbow situation. Like, she probably wasn't even aiming close to his heart. She was trying to call him out in public in front of his people immediately. So she just like half-ass attempts to crossbow him. He turns around and she's like, hey, I'm here. Want to chase me? Okay, bye. And then she runs off. And then, okay. And then the next scene is Giles, or Angel gets off the phone with Giles and he's like, okay, so apparently she was just there a week ago, which it's been two months, but whatever, a week ago. And like he plays it like he doesn't know exactly what happened. Like Giles didn't actually tell him the details, but then later we find out that maybe he knew more than he was letting on to Wesley and Cordelia. I don't fucking know, but whatever he, in this scene, he's just like, Cordelia asks him, okay, what happened? What did he do to Buffy? And Angel just says, well, Giles said it was bad (laughs) or something like, okay, whatever. Um, so my note was Giles didn't call. Giles didn't tell Angel what happened. Angel is defensive because he blames Wesley. So, okay, maybe that's it. Maybe he decides not to say all the details of what Giles told him transpired because he suddenly like realizes, oh yeah, I remember fucking Wesley. Fucking Wesley was the one that interrupted at the crucial moment that I could have gotten through to Faith. And he kind of confronts him about it. So this is where we we get the narrative for anyone that like was watching Angel and had never seen Buffy or something. Like he confronts Wesley in this moment. Like, yeah, you remember, you remember that time when I almost got through to her and someone came in with the watchers council and took her away and she ran. Do you remember that? Remember that? So we get that in the scene. Um, Wesley at this moment, is still arguing for rehabilitation. He's like, yeah, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. It's true. Like he, he's already admitting his remorse for that situation. Like he should have been a better watcher to her. And like, I don't know if it had ever been addressed by him before that he feels, I mean, in Buffy a little bit, like we could tell that immediately after all the shit went down, he realized that he shouldn't have done what he did. Pretty immediately he realized it, but this is, you know, months and months later. So it's nice to know that he feels bad about that whole thing. Then Faith shows up and she like opens the blinds to, so that Angel can't like cross the threshold into the sun or whatever. And she confronts him at his office. So she's letting him know that she knows where he works she brings a fucking gun and she throws it to him so that he could shoot her and he shoots her immediately without even thinking about it like towards her legs or something um and it's a blank and then he throws the gun back to her which makes no sense why would he do that (laughs) why would he do that um and then he and then she shoots him and the next one isn't a blank So this is another moment where I'm like, okay, like, did Faith obviously thought this out to a certain extent. Like she realized that he might actually shoot at her and it would be a blank, the first one. 
but she knew that that second bullet was not a blank. So did she think that completely through? She probably was taking a chance, you know? She was like, probably he won't shoot me a second time once he realizes it's a blank. But what if he does? Then I'll die. Fine. You know, she's, she's kind of like, she has a love of chaos to a certain extent. It's not bringing her the, the joy that it used to, but she still is trying to embrace chaos in the way that she thinks that she should, you know? It's like that old lover that just isn't doing it for you anymore. And so she had to know, she knew that she was taking a chance in that moment. Like, how did she know he was going to give the gun back to her? First of all, second of all, how did she know that he was going to shoot her at all? How did she know that he was going to shoot her, that he wasn't going to shoot her a second time? You know, like she was taking a lot of chances in that moment because she genuinely wants to die. She she's still sort of flirting with the idea of like, I think at this point she's kind of vacillating, like maybe killing Angel, which is a huge adversity, adversity to her, like is actually a challenge to her and is someone that is a connection to her past. Someone that like, maybe if she can like put the nails in the coffin by killing Angel, she'll feel like she's, gotten the closure and she'll be able to go about her life and feel joy in being a bad girl and just accept the fact that she's a bad girl or he'll kill her in the process. Either way, it'll be good, right? I think she's still kind of like thinking that maybe it'll just definitively go one way or the other, you know? Maybe she doesn't fully want him to kill her at this point, but there's, there's an element of that for sure. Uh-huh. Oh, and then I think it's interesting that she says to him, what if you lose your soul killing me? I mean, I'd get off on that. So that's another element of like, maybe you'll really enjoy killing me and then you'll lose your soul. And, you know, like she's just, she wants to feel something so badly or she just, she wants things to be definitive. You know, she wants to have some control. And she talks about that at the end of the two-parter with Buffy later. We'll talk about that, but okay. Get going here, okay? I think it's probably time I finish my first glass of wine. I think it's time to go downstairs and pour myself another. I'll be right back. Okay. I've got a refill and I've cracked the window a little bit. I was probably like getting a little delirious on my own carbon monoxide fumes. <laughs> Um, since I've been sitting in this room for like an hour and a half. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Right. I'm serious now. For real. I think this has just made me a little crazy. Because like... Like, I just want to put the time together for you guys. Just because I'm a process queen and that's what I do. So, you know, like, I'm sure all podcasters that do this kind of thing do this, you know, like it takes up so much more time than you realize. <laughs> like, so I watched both episodes today and took notes. That process took me, let's see, I started, what time did I start? 2.30 in the afternoon, I started and I was done with that part of the process, just watching the two episodes and pausing to take notes and stuff 
and then doing like the research with reading the episode guide and taking notes on that. That whole process took until five, a little after five, so two and a half hours. And then um, the process of like, I watched a couple of the Passionate Nerds YouTube videos um, and took notes on that. So that took about an hour. So, I mean, maybe that's not a lot of work. I don't know. And then plus I've just been thinking about it. Like since I announced it with you guys a week ago, I've just been thinking about these episodes so much and like, what am I going to say about them? And like listening to podcast episodes of other people talk about them. And, you know, I've just been steeping in these two episodes <laughs> so much that I'm just insane now. Sorry, guys. I'm also a little tipsy because I've had a full minty mug full, full of full. That's okay. Like every once in a while, I just have to get like a little bit drunk to talk about faith. <laughs> That's just part of my personality profile. Okay, here we go. Okay. Second bullet wasn't a blank. Angel walks right into Wolfram and Hart. So at this point, Angel like goes to Wolfram and Hart. I don't really understand why he goes there. Because Faith mentioned that they hired her to kill him, but, like, what is he going to gain from going there? I don't know. I guess he just wanted to confront Lindsay, because he waits in his office until he gets, until he comes in. But it's not entirely clear if he wanted him to come in and find him or not. Like, I don't know. I don't know what that scene's all about. But basically, it's just, like, stupid pissing contest between Angel and Lindsay. Whatever. And he describes, um... Maybe he's just trying to corroborate Faith's story. And, of course, Lindsay's just denying it. But he says he says to Lindsay, you'd recognize her. Pretty, dark hair, kills things. <laughs> I just really like that as, as a general description for Faith. Pretty, dark hair, kills things. So I just had to say that. Um... At some point, I liked this little, this little burn this little, from Angel to Lindsay. He says to her, he says to him, like, they're talking about, like, why, why are you not representing me? And Lindsay's like, well, we only accept a certain clientele, a certain class of clientele. And Angel just immediately snaps back with, I'm sure I've killed enough people to qualify. I'm like, oh, burn. Okay. Cordelia and Wesley. So basically, Angel has told them, like, okay, Faith is here. You guys should probably just make yourself scarce. Like, this is... She's she's dangerous. And Cordelia's like, okay, cool. I'm fine with that. I'm out of here. And so she is walking down her hallway to go to her apartment and gather some things so they can make themselves scarce. And Wesley's accompanying her. I think he's planning to stay behind or something like that, but but she wants him as her protection or something. And she can't get her door open at first because her phantom Dennis, the ghost that lives in her house, is, like, keeping the door shut. Like, she tries to get it open two separate times, and he's, like, shutting it. And she convinces him to let her in. But he doesn't intervene again, which I find kind of inconsistent. Like, they could have just kept Phantom Dennis out of this whole situation. <laughs> I think it's kind of cute when they put him in there. 
but if he can make the door shut, he could have also intervened in the following moments. So she finally gets into the apartment. Faith is there. Faith elbows Cordelia in the face and kidnaps Wesley. And, and Dennis does nothing except try to keep the door closed when she first comes in. Like he could have done something else. He could have thrown something heavy at Faith's head or something, you know, because he can do that. Then we get flashback number three for Angel. Um, so in this flashback, like this is a particular scene from one night that we get in two separate parts. So we get the first part right now where he's sort of waiting in an alley and he's just like hungry and he looks like a homeless person and, you know, he looks awful. And he keeps saying to, it's like a group of men and there's one woman with them or something and... He's saying to them, I'm a monster, I'm a monster, I'm a monster. And he's goading the dudes to come after him and fight him. And you see him fight off all the dudes. And then he goes after the girl and bites her. So that's all we see in this particular part of the scene. So we'll come back to that. Um, let's see. Da, 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 da. He just keeps saying, I'm a monster, I'm a monster. And he's saying it in some other language for some reason. I don't know why they're inconsistent with with his characterization from the past like he can't even keep his Irish accent most of the time and even when he has it it's terrible anyway um okay Cordelia is really shaken up that's my next note like Angel finds Cordelia when she's like waking up from being knocked out by Faith elbowing her in the face which props to Faith because like Faith is really only going to she's only ever really gone after people for vengeance reasons and because the mayor hired her to go after them like i mean like she has like knocked people unconscious to take their clothes or whatever but that's just sort of like when you have nothing and you're a slayer and you're you're morally ambiguous that's something you're gonna do you're gonna knock someone out and take their clothes or their wallet like Sorry to say, but seriously, if you have nothing and you can't survive and you have no resources, but you all, but you have super strength and you're not super morally good, like you're going to do that. Like knocking someone out and stealing their wallet, it's, it's not cute, but <laughs> I understand that. Like, but she's not, anyway. So elbowing Cordelia in the face was just to get her out of the way. Like she was never going to gun for Cordelia. She was never going to put Cordelia in harm's way. Because at this point, she's not evil. She's trying to provoke Angel. And as we find out later, it's personal with Wesley. Like she's kidnapping Wesley to torture him because she wants someone to blame for why she is the way that she is she is not targeting cordelia because there's no reason to target cordelia because cordelia and faith have never even like had a conversation before possibly like if they have it's been inconsequential you know anyway but cordelia is i find this a little bit uncharacteristic because she's super shaken up she's like i couldn't do anything it was it was so scary <laughs> Like, this is not Cordelia's character. Cordelia's tough. She's been knocked out by psychotic bitches before. <laughs> you know? Like, 
I don't think she would react this. She reacts really like a damsel in distress in this particular scene, and it's a little much. Like, I guess it was just because she's not going to be in that many scenes in these two-parter, in this two-parter, so like, she's, I don't know, going a little over the top in this moment, but it just seemed uncharacteristic to me for Cordelia. Next, where are we? I, okay, so then we get the torture scene. Um, it's actually really effective. It's, you know, like I'm just crying the whole time. She's trying in this whole scene, like she's trying so hard to feel something and she's trying to really draw it out. Like you get the idea that, it, that she spends hours doing this to Wesley hours. And she does things like she throws a shard of glass out a window that's covered in Wesley's blood. And it's a very effective shot. And it shows that not only has she just done a terrible thing, but she hates herself for doing it. And she wants to feel good for doing it, but she can't. And she doesn't know who she is. And it's just like, ugh, that one shot makes me cry. But she's doing it because she's trying to lure Angel, right? I mean, that has to be. Like, she's throwing a piece of glass full of Wesley's blood out a window because she's trying to lure a vampire to her. Like, she's drawing out this torture process. She was never intending to kill Wesley. She was drawing out this process because she wanted him to come and be so angry at her for doing that that, she, that he killed her. Like, she thought that moment that she's sitting in the window holding the piece of glass and looking at it, like, in shock at who she is and who she's become, she sees that as one of the last moments of her life. She's just waiting for him to come kill her. And she, like, simultaneously, like, I mean, she feels like it can't come soon enough. I don't know, like, maybe I'm projecting a lot of things onto her, but I really think that that is where her head is at at this point. Like, she kidnapped and tortured Wesley. Maybe in the beginning she thought, okay, this is payback. You did wrong by me. I'm a bad slayer now, and it's your fault because she wants someone to point the finger at. Maybe there's some part of her that wanted to believe that, but I think from the very beginning she was just again, trying to draw Angel out. She just wants him to end it for her. Oh, it's so heartbreaking, this episode. Okay. <sighs> okay. I've been talking for over an hour about... I'm not even to the end of this one episode. Okay. So. Um, I was going to research this, but I didn't. Is it true that there are five basic torture groups and that they are blunt, sharp, cold, hot, and loud? That seems like so deceptively simple that it has to be true, right? Okay. Anyway. Oh, Eliza Dushku is so good in the scene too. She is just like, even though her first acting job was on Buffy, as well as, you know, like I mentioned before, Mark Blucas and David Boreanaz, she has learned so much faster in so many fewer episodes. Yes, that grammar is perfect. Don't question it. 
like she is just phenomenal in this like she does so much with so little time like ugh, kudos i need to watch dollhouse next oh i won't rewatch that in a while so okay more uncharacteristic shit wesley says to faith in a moment where she's really listening to him and it's possible that he could say some good shit to her in this moment. But again, he fucking fails her, just like he did before. You know, obviously, like, you're going to be a little salty if somebody's torturing you. Like, I get it. But <laughs> at a moment where she takes the gag off of him and she's, like, trying to have a conversation with him in her twisted way. And Wesley chooses that moment to tell her that she's a piece of shit, which of course it gets cut off because you can't say shit on network television. But really, Wesley? You're going to tell her that she's a piece of shit? Like right now, first of all, do you have a death wish? <laughs> like what's up with that? Telling someone that's torturing you that they're a piece of shit, first of all. Second of all, you had a moment there where you could have redeemed yourself for what you did to her, you know? Obviously, you're not necessarily thinking about redeeming yourself to someone that's torturing you. Like, I, I, I have to acknowledge that I'm just a little too sympathetic towards Faith. It's like, once I decide I love someone, it doesn't matter what they do, <laughs> like, it's a problem. But still, he had a moment, an opportunity, and he did not take it. And so I wrote, what the fuck, Wesley? This whole scene, though, like, she's torturing him, but you can tell she's not feeling it. It's like, maybe she thinks if she does it right, she will feel it. Like, she's flirting with, she's just trying to be dark, because she thinks, it's like she thinks she doesn't have a choice. She thinks that she is bad, and she just needs to embrace it. Like, how can you enjoy life? Unless you embrace who you truly are. So if you have no choice and you just are bad, then you might as well embrace it. That's that's where her thought is. That's where her thought process is. And I get it from that perspective. I get it. And then she starts saying <clears throat> things like, you know, so you know that moment when in this year's girl on Buffy, a few episodes ago, when she had gone to Joyce's house, it was the same thing. She was trying to lure Buffy to her. It was for a different reason, but she was trying to lure Buffy to her, to her. So she was, you know, kidnapping and not really torturing Joyce because again, again, like the reason why she just elbows Cordelia in the face, she just kind of like traps Joyce in her house and talks her to death. Like, she doesn't actually harm women. Isn't that true? Universally? Yes. I mean, like, she was, like... I mean, she's done a lot of harm towards Buffy psychologically. She did some psychological harm to that woman that she was, like, sexy dancing all up on her boyfriend. But she doesn't do physical harm to women because she respects them. Anyway, so she starts saying to, I don't know what that has to do with anything, except I just thought it. So she starts saying to Wesley, like, do you ever think, like, 
what if Giles were my watcher instead of you? Would he be in that chair right now? Or would I be different? Would I be the good slayer? Like, so it's a parallel kind of between um, some of the insightful things that she was saying to Joyce in that moment when Joyce was on her bed and she was trying on the lipstick and she was like, you know, that sinking pit of despair when everybody just like believes that you are a certain thing. And like, I don't know what she was saying, but she was saying some really psychological insight, psychologically insightful shit to Joyce in that moment. And this is a parallel of that, what she's saying to Wesley. And it's very interesting because she, she does have insight into who she is. You know, she's and that moment, those moments are why this person is redeemable, why you can get through because she has that, that switch of insight. Like, you know, if we're going to make a parallel here, here between, um, to rehab, which of course we are, because that's the way the show does it. That's, that's what this metaphorical thing is. If we're going to make that parallel, then it totally makes sense. A person can't decide to give up something that they're addicted to. I mean, they have to do it. They have to do it on their own. Someone else can't make that decision for them, which means they have to have enough insight into what they're doing and how it's affecting them to know that I mean, basically the whole definition of a harmful addiction is that you are doing something that is affecting your life negatively. You know, like it's, that's why it's not, it's not bad for everybody to drink two glasses of wine out of a minty mug at midnight. <laughs> but it's bad for the person that you know, like they're doing that kind of behavior so often that they're missing work or they're um, having, it's affecting their relationships with other people. It's everything is nuanced. Everything is case by case basis. You have to like have enough insight into who you are to know that what you're doing is affecting others and affecting your quality of life. Like an addiction is only addiction addiction if it's to that level and you can't you can't force someone to stop if they haven't realized that they're in that place and the fact that faith is able to even though she's playing it off like it's a joke like do you ever wonder wesley what if someone else had been my watcher what if it had been giles would i be the good slayer you know like she wouldn't be having those moments of insight if she wasn't ready to possibly make a change. It doesn't mean she's going to, but it's a way in. I just, I think it's brilliant that they decided to put that moment in there. Like she has that insight. She has the capability to change. Oh, I've been talking so long that I had to pause this to replace my tea light candle because the current tea light candles that I have been using, I bought like a 50 pack of these candles, I had no idea how crappy they would be. They last like an hour. Like I realized tea light candles are not supposed to last that long, but these literally only last a little over an hour. Come on guys. Come on. Okay. Uh, 
I miss the Massa tea light candles, right, Mom? Those, those would last like three or four hours. Like, can we not have that? Can we not have nice things? <laughs> Let me know, mixtrishradio at gmail.com. If you know of tea light candles, I mean, I would prefer to have black ones just because of my cold, dead, black, goth soul. But, you know, if they have to be white, I can deal with it. I can deal with it. I just want to buy a 50 pack of tea light candles where every single candle is going to actually like, I am such a candle whore. Okay. Anyway. So she mentions fate and destiny. So I wrote that down as a note. Like she says the words fate and destiny to, she's like, do you believe in fate and destiny? Well, I don't. And then she just, you know, like overcompensates by torturing him some more. Um, then Angel finally shows up and she's like, finally, soul boy. <laughs> I just like that she calls him soul boy. Then we get flashback number four. I don't know. Does that happen? I think it happens after he arrives. So there's, it must be like he gets there. All of this is taking place in the apartment of the person that she knocked out after she got off the bus in the beginning of the episode because he's still in the hospital and his keys were in his pocket and apparently he also had his own address written down on a little piece of paper or something so she knew where to go but anyway <clears throat> then we <coughs> sorry i don't know how much of that little coughing fit before i paused that you heard i just choked on Lacroix. anyway so Angel shows up, then we get flashback number four, which is the end of the scene from earlier. So he had pulled that woman into the alley and he had started feeding off of her. But then in this scene, it's very short. You just see her like emerging from the alley, like running scared. And he just like sort of stumbles after her. He couldn't finish killing her. So this is the parallel, obviously this moment of Faith torturing Wesley is this last moment of her like she has turned the corner she can't be bad anymore but she's trying to still do it but she can't follow through that's that moment that he had in his life that's the parallel like he tried to lure a woman into an alley and kill her but he couldn't do it um okay he said this is where Faith refers, she says to Angel that killing Wesley is payback. And Angel comes back with, I thought you liked the way you are. And so that's really cool and insightful moment. Um, at one point he says to her, because she says something about being young. And he says, do you feel young? And then he says some shitty thing about her looking really worn out. But I like that, that he's just like, do you feel young? Like you've been through a lot and things are real bad for you right now. Do you feel young right now? Do you? Um, okay. So basically at this point they fight, they end up through the window and then it starts raining baptism by rain and she at the end she just breaks down completely and she he's at the entire fight he's not fighting her to hurt her he's just deflecting blows and trying to wear her out 
that's all he's doing. And towards the end, she just literally tires herself completely out. And she's just like, just like hitting him half-heartedly and crying and saying, I'm bad, fight back. I'm evil. I'm bad. I'm bad. You know, it's, it very much echoes the scene. Not completely because she's in at the end of who are you she was punching her own body buffy in her body in the face over and over and over saying like you murderous bitch and all this shit like you're seeing her self-hatred in this moment it's more of a desperation and a sadness than an anger but she just baldly says just do it just kill me just do it please just kill me just kill me and she's crying and she's breaking down and I don't know about you but this is I mean I'm just a fucking puddle at that moment and honestly like there are a few good moments in the next episode but honestly I wish they would have taken the time in Sanctuary, the next episode, to really just like put you back together, to really start the rebuilding process. And we can't throw this episode away because it's very important and some important things happen and we have to talk about them. Gonna do it. But the progress that was made in 5x5 five five far outweighs what happens in Sanctuary. Sanctuary is very disjointed. <sighs> Let's go ahead and talk about it. Here we go. Taking a big swig of wine now. Okay, so that's the end of 5x5. Five five. You're crying. You've been crying. <laughs> Previously on Angel the Vampire Slayer. You're crying. You've been crying. Faith, cry. Cry, 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 cry. So Sanctuary begins with the riding the elevator back up into, up into Angel's apartment. So they've somehow made it from the moments where she's completely breaking down and Angel's hugging her in the alley. And there's that great shot where Wesley has gotten himself free and he's gone down to like help Angel fight Faith with a knife, but then he just drops the knife when he sees but then they totally backtrack on that because you think that Wesley dropping the knife, Wesley dropping the knife and seeing her break down and Angel just holding her. And then like in these moments, they've had to decide like, what are we going to do with Faith? And like, presumably they had that conversation together, the three of them, right? We didn't see that. But anyway, Wesley just completely backtracks. We'll get to that. But the first scene in Sanctuary is they're going up the elevator to Angel's apartment. And it's, this is good. This is really good. This is like the, I mean, this is obviously a completely different thing, but there's this concept. I can't remember what they call it, but it's an important part of like, if you're in to like a sadomasochistic BDSM type scenario or relationship, an important thing is if you are the submissive 
you know, you have consented to, like, ideally in a situation, like, you have set the parameters beforehand, like, okay, this is what's going to happen, I am consenting to this and this and this and this happening, of course, you have a safe word and things like that, um, so that you can make it stop at any time, because it's not actually abuse, it's, you know, and then once the whole scenario is over, there is a period of care that is given to the submissive. And I forgot what they call that, but ever since I've heard, I heard of it, I was like, okay, that's how that, I mean, that particular type of relationship dynamic for me personally just seems too upsetting, but I can, you know, like people do what they need to do in this life to get through. I get it. But this made it okay to me psychologically because there's this, I mean, this is obviously a completely different thing, but for some reason it reminds me of this concept in BDSM relationships where after whatever it is has transpired between the, um, the dominant and the submissive, there is a care period where you psychologically build up the submissive person again. You help them transition back into normal everyday life by caring for them. It's part of the process. Like you have just possibly done things to them that are upsetting. And even though they consented to it, and even though it's something that they need or want in their lives, it's still upsetting. And so afterwards, you know, you wrap them in a blanket or like you give them a bath and you care for them and you make sure that they are completely, that they feel safe. And it's, it's a part of the process between a specific dominant and submissive because they have to, the submissive has to know that that person cares about them. And especially if you're in an actual regular relationship with a person and every once in a while you have a BDSM thing going on, like you have to, you know, you have to put them back together. If you're going to tear them down, even if they consent to it, you have the responsibility to put them back together. And I thought that was just like the coolest thing. Like, okay, I understand now if this is done properly, a person can actually be put back together after this situation and they can go on with their lives. This is obviously a completely different thing, but Angel just like after her total breakdown, he takes her back to his apartment. He wraps her up, up in a towel and a blanket and he's like, rest, just rest. And he leaves her in his bedroom. She has a little moment. Um, where she calls to Angel, like as he's leaving the room and he's like, what? And then she says, nothing. Um, but in that moment after he's like responded to her, you get this like quick little quick cut fantasy where she's like stabbing him and it didn't really happen. And it's a good callback to that moment where she did that to Willow in Who Are You? Um, I think it's good. It's interesting. It's it's a nice callback that they put that little moment in there because it reminds you that like she is so vulnerable right now, but she is still just like her brain is just going to these dark places just like without even thinking about it. She didn't think about that consciously, but it came into her head and it happened, you know, I mean, it didn't really happen, but you know, 
it totally makes sense that somebody in her state would have that little moment like that. Okay, what's my next note? Wesley and Cordelia are mad. Wesley calls her a rabid animal. Oh, he also calls her a bitch. Like, I didn't like this little moment between Wesley and Cordelia. Like, I totally understand they would be commiserating together about the fact that they both look really beat up today. Cordelia because she got elbowed one time and Wesley because he got tortured for hours. Like, I get that they would be salty about that. I get it. But they're coming down on the side of like, how could someone ever do this when they work for a homicidal vampire? Okay? They're both at the ready to any moment have to stake their own boss that they work for, that they care a lot about and they respect. They're totally fine with forgiving him for all the terrible shit that he's done, but they can't forgive Faith. And I just, it bugs me. It bugs me. And the fact that Wesley would call her a rabid animal. Angel puts him in his place though when he gets there. He comes upstairs and he sees them in the midst of this conversation. And he's like, we're not in the business of giving up on people. I also really like in the scene, so Cordelia basically just like, without making too big of a deal out of it, she's like, Angel, you need to sign this. You need to sign this. She basically is setting healthy boundaries. He doesn't realize until after he's done it what he just signed. And what he just signed was some checks for her to go on a paid vacation. She's like, okay, she is so emotionally advanced. She just, she's just like, okay, I just got elbowed in the face by this crazy slayer bitch. And he's about to go on this whole moment of brooding redemption and rehabilitation with her. And it's, it could possibly get real fucking volatile. And you know what? I'm not here for that. So you know what you're going to do? You're going to pay me to take a week or two off because I, she knows she's emotionally intelligent enough to know that she can't convince him not to help Faith. She knows he's going to do it. And she also knows that like, she is not here for that. So she's like, you know what? I'm just going to go home. <laughs> I'm going to go home. I'm going to do my own thing, but you're still going to pay me. And I'll come back when you're done with all this bullshit. And I love that so much. Like as much as I talk about like, we need to be there for faith. We need to like, she deserves redemption. She deserves care. Like people should love her. Cordelia has no fucking reason to give a shit about faith, but she's also not actively trying to like dissuade Angel from his thing. She's like, she doesn't even give a shit to understand what the thing is. She's just like, okay, I see that you're doing this thing over there. I see that you're going to continue doing it, but guess what? I don't want to be a part of it. So bye. <laughs> but also you're going to pay me. Okay. Bye. <laughs> I just love it so much. Okay. Cops at the apartment. This is the first time we see Kate. So we see Kate, like, I don't know, 10 minutes into the second part of this episode. And I really like this moment too. So she is, so they're at the scene of the guy's apartment and they're like taking all the evidence of whatever fucking happened there. They don't know. And, um, Kate's there and she's arguing with one of her other fellow detectives, 
and he's like, oh, you're always here for all this weird supernatural shit. You're so scully now. And she just like deadpan looks into his eyes and she says, Scully's a skeptic. And he's like, what? She says, Mulder's the believer. He's like, what? Scully's the chick, right? He like literally says that. Scully's the chick, right? And she just like blinks. Yes. <sighs> I love it. I love it so much because that was such a thing. Do you guys remember, if you're as old as me, you remember back in the X-File days, people would get that wrong all the time. They would just automatically think, I mean, that was like the full, the whole premise of the show was that Scully, the woman, was actually the one that was the scientist and didn't believe in all the supernatural shit. And how uncharacteristic of the woman to be the reasonable one, you know? <laughs> I love it. And she's like, I already believe that's the problem. So this is like, like not great characteriz characterization for Kate in this episode. Like she just shows up to investigate faith and want to track her down and then she's there at the end for faith to confess to her because faith specifically sought her out okay we'll get there we'll get there this whole faith only respecting chicks thing okay so a few moments in this episode are really important like there's this moment where angel comes back downstairs from getting the donuts and having the confrontation with Wesley. And Wesley just basically walks out right before he signs the checks for Cordelia and then she walks out. Um, so he goes back downstairs to his apartment and Faith is just standing in the kitchen with a knife. Like she's just in a fugue state. She just like is in shock. She doesn't even like realize she's holding a knife, I think. And she's Faith standing in the kitchen with a knife in her hand. Yeah. I don't think she knew she was holding it. And it's a good moment because he's, he's being really good with her. He actually is like, it's not, even though he's been through this himself, he hasn't ever like actually like counseled someone else that's going through this. So the fact that he is as insightful and good at this as he is, is surprising, but he is. Um, and he, he says to her something like, you should rest. And she's like, I've been asleep for eight months. <laughs> um, and my next notice, Faith is grappling with memories. She starts packing a bag. So she has a moment where she's just like, you see her flashing back to some of the bad things she's done, including the first thing, which is accidentally killing the deputy mayor. Like she didn't mean to do that. Um, you know, tracing everything back to that moment, if she had just admitted that, like, she made a mistake and, like, what do we do from here? Like, Buffy and Giles and everybody would have been totally there for her, but she, she just didn't know enough about being able to trust other people. Anyway, let's not go all the way back to that moment, but she's thinking about all those things and it just freaks her out. So she starts packing her bag, which, what did she have taken out of the bag at this point? You know, <laughs> whatever. Um, and 
again, Angel handles this extremely well because like she starts to leave and he's like, what are you doing? You shouldn't go somewhere right now. Like you can't do that. It's not going to work out for you. And so she starts getting really defensive. Like, am I a prisoner? And he does the right thing because like if he had tried to physically restrain her, it would not have gone well. You know, like it again with an addict, which is the parallel that this show is making and will make again many times with different characters. It's, you know, you have to want to change. You have to want to give up the thing that you're addicted to or whatever. So he steps aside, you know, like, no, you're not a prisoner. And he lets her walk out with her bag. And then he kind of follows her down the hallway, like, and then says things like he says all the right things to get her back, you know, like he's doing so good. I just want to see like a whole feature length movie of like putting faith back together, you know, <laughs> like I normally don't even give a shit about Angel as a character, but when Angel as a character is being this guy, supporting someone that's coming back from the brink of being evil or, or some kind of addiction parallel or whatever, when he is at his best, it's this moment right here. If every Angel episode could make you feel some semblance of what you feel for Angel in this moment, it would be a good show. Guess what? Not even this entire episode has that gravity to it. <laughs> really doesn't. Okay, here we go. So this episode has been really good so far, but okay, he opens the door. She's not a prisoner. He asks, where are you going to go? And he says some things like with talking about the darkness, you thought you could just touch it that you'd be okay. Five by five, right? So he's the one that says it in this episode, but this isn't even the episode that's titled five by five, but he's the only one that says that phrase in this entire two-parter. And it, and she reacts by punching him. And then she says, help me. <laughs> she doesn't say it like that, but she says, help me right after punching him. And he says, yeah, like, duh. <laughs> been doing it, gonna continue doing it. Okay. And you know, that's it. You know, he doesn't try to restrain her in any way. He doesn't do any of that, like fucking grabbing your arm as you're trying to walk away bullshit that you see all the time in every single movie and TV show, especially from the nineties or before, like everybody, every single dude is chasing a woman down the street and grabbing her arm to stop her. Like, do not touch my fucking upper arm, you dick, you know? And then, and then, okay, so she comes back in and she kind of starts going through this whole, like she's just had some memories come up and that's what led her to trying to run away. And then Angel got her back inside. And now she's like, oh shit, I can't apologize. I can't apologize for the things that I've done. Some things are too big. Some things, okay, what does she say? There are some things you can't just take back. And, you know, Angel's just saying some real shit to her. Like, dude, yeah, you know, just going to be like, you've done some shitty shit. You're going to have to face it. I actually say shitty shit, but you know what I'm saying. 
And I love this moment where Faith sort of laughs at this at one point. She's like, I gotta be the first slayer in history to be sponsored by a vampire. <laughs> That's a really good moment. We could have had like really what Faith actually deserved after this moment is months of this, months and months of this. Like ideally the show of Angel could have been made so much better for Eliza Dushku joining the cast. I don't understand why they didn't do that. This was the perfect opportunity unless she had other things going on and she just only signed up for a certain number of episodes or whatever. But she could have come back in this moment. They could have done like a slow progress of her like eventually making it up to Wesley and Cordelia enough that they would reluctantly let her into the group and then eventually they'd start trusting her and they would just all be fighting on the side of good because she's still she is part of the mission statement of angel because she wants she's on a path of redemption but this is how you know another example of why the buffyverse is not a feminist world when so we've made all these fucking parallels between angel and faith angel as part of his redemption he gets to start a detective agency he gets to live in a swanky basement apartment that's super stylish he gets to have lots of women want to fuck him all the time and he saves people and he drives around in a cadillac or whatever the fuck it is some kind of convertible i don't know cars i think it's a cadillac it might not be whatever that's his path to redemption is that sometimes he sits around in rooms and he looks sad but faith's path of redemption can't look like that can't even resemble that she has to go to fucking prison for three years and barely be spoken of because she's a woman seriously i mean like Maybe that's a little harsh to say, but that is exactly how this world works. Buffy is not a feminist show, even though it's my favorite show of all time. Even though right now I'm talking about Angel. It's not even the same show. Okay. I've had two full mugs of wine. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> what is that the equivalent of though? Actually. Like, it's not a full-size mug. It's kind of a smaller mug. It's probably the equivalent of, like, two and a half or three glasses of wine. And I am just like, woo! Okay. Where are we? Okay. Dun, 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 dun. Okay. Then we get the scene where, like, Wesley... Wesley's playing darts. And he's so angsty. And he's playing darts. And then the Watcher dudes come up. And they offer him, they offer to reinstate him as a watcher because he got fired after the fumbling situation that happened with Faith before, where he tried to betray her, but it didn't work out. And then he got fired and blah, blah, blah. So they offer to reinstate him as a watcher if he helps them, which I discussed before. Or did I discuss before? I think I discussed it in the outtake that I stopped recording. Well, okay, that happens. You guys probably saw it and he plays along like you don't know till later that he wasn't actually planning to go along with them 
which is totally uncharacteristic because like just for narrative purposes they've made wesley seem like a total asshole like he called her a piece of shit he called her rabbit animal he called her a bitch he said all these things and in this scene we're led to believe that he's going to help them out but then he doesn't so like maybe he actually believes in her redemption after all i don't know i think they just like for narrative purposes they just threw wesley into the whole will he help her or won't he help her will he be an asshole like he was before or not who knows like it's just it's shitty it's a shitty ser doing shitty service to wesley's character but that's what they decided to do anyway so this is the scene whatever blah 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 there's another scene um with angel and faith where he says to her there are some things you can't oh no that's where that's where she says there are some things you can't just take back okay i got ahead of myself and then i went back and whatever where am i then okay so we get to a point like she's making popcorn then angel takes a shower <laughs> riveting shit. she's sitting in a chair like flipping channels eating popcorn and she sees on the news she sees kate on the news and she sees her picture and like she's wanted and blah 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 and angel comes out of the shower and he sees her reacting to seeing this on the news and he's like he turns off the tv and he's like it's okay we already knew this we already knew that you were wanted it's fine doesn't change anything like he's talking her out of the moment of spiraling at seeing her own picture on the news like she might have had like three minutes of forgetting her situation which is important like seeing her eating popcorn flipping through channels for some reason that's extremely important to me because i wanted her to have i mean when you're really going through something you need to have moments of peace moments of forgetting about what you're going through like the only way you're going to heal is if you can take yourself out of it every once in a while in in a healthy way like watching tv and eating popcorn is not an unhealthy like if that's all you're doing whenever you need to like redeem yourself from something or put yourself back together from something if that's the only thing you're doing then it's not healthy but if but if you're letting yourself have a moment of peace and distraction that is a good part of your process and seeing her have that moment was really good it's so dumb but it just it comforts me seeing her with the popcorn <laughs> but like he's like okay it's all right you saw yourself on the most wanted it's okay i'm gonna protect you we knew that was gonna happen like we need to move through this like maybe they were about to have a conversation about like do you want me to keep you hidden or do you want to try to work within the law for your redemption like either one of these paths could help you what do you want to do you know like but they didn't get that far because there was a demon because there was some scene with wolfram and hart they were like hiring this demon guy to come after her or both of them or just angel i don't know whatever he was there they fought the demon the demon turned out to have red blood and afterwards faith had the demon's red blood on her hands and she sort of went into a moment of shock looking down at the blood on her hands and angel just immediately like was like it's okay it's okay like it's okay and he starts hugging her 
And it's this beautiful moment of like, that hadn't happened yet. I mean, obviously the moment at the end of the last episode where she was just totally breaking down and he was just holding her. But that was like total breakdown holding someone so they don't fly apart. That's different from like comforting hug at this stage. It's a totally different thing. So this is like contact. She's getting human contact. She's being put back together. It's happening slowly. And then motherfucking Buffy walks in. Motherfucking Buffy. And for whatever reason, even though this episode is co-written by Joss Whedon, who you would think would know how to fucking write Buffy the Vampire Slayer, a character that he created and he wrote for for the last three and a half years, four years at this point, they decide to characterize Buffy in the rest of this episode. They really focus on the drama between Buffy and Angel because their real goal in the last half of this episode was to distinguish Angel as a show from Buffy as a show. And like, dude, we're doing our own thing here. We're being all noir, detective, manly shit over here on Angel. And that's different from your girly, cutesy shit that you're doing over there on Buffy. And these are different worlds now. And we live different lives now. And blah, blah, blah. And they really, really lean hard into that shit. And in so doing, they mischaracterized Buffy in such an extreme way. And I thought I was overreacting. I thought I was just like, because I care so much about Faith, seeing Buffy show up and like ruin everything, I thought I was being overly sensitive. But the passionate nerd guy on YouTube totally agreed with me. And he's like, why are they characterizing Buffy like this? And then they did, he did like a montage of like, if you had only watched Angel, here are the moments that we've had with Buffy so far only on Angel. And she's portrayed as like a naggy, narcissistic, um, overdramatic bitch. Crazy bitch. She's characterized in the way that most dudes, especially in the 90s, characterized every single ex they've ever had. Do you remember that shit? Do you remember how awful men used to portray women that they were no longer in relationships with? Like as if they were all completely insane? This is how they portray Buffy in Angel. Ugh. Oh my god, I'm almost two hours in. I had to get going. Okay. Oh, before Buffy walks in, Faith actually says the words, like she's like going back through, like who can I apologize to? Like how can I actually apologize to anyone? And she's like going through all the shitty things she's done to different people. And then she's like, oh, fuck B, how am I ever going to make things right with her? And then, okay, so I skipped over this part too. The thing that starts the whole Buffy and Angel drama is, you know, Faith kind of starts going over like the things that she did to Buffy and she's like, oh, I did this and I did this and I did this. And then I had sex with her boyfriend and Angel's like, you and I never, and she's like, oh, not, not you, the new one. It's like, and then he's like, what? Buffy has a boyfriend. That's not me. What? Like, really? Really? 
this is what you're going to focus on. I mean, he recovers from it pretty quickly. Whatever. Okay. Angel just showered. Faith with the popcorn. Okay, I really did get ahead of myself. Whatever. Buffy walks in. Okay. <gasps> okay. So, Faith immediately. So, like, Buffy walks in. Faith and Angel are hugging at that moment. She's just freaked out about the blood on her hands. And he, like, gently pulls away from her. And he's like, Buffy, what are you doing here? And Faith just continues. Like, she's just in shock. It's like she doesn't even, like, totally realize that Buffy's there. She's just, like, staring at her hands in shock a little bit. And Buffy and Angel, like, has just gotten out of the shower. So his shirt isn't even all the way buttoned up yet. Because you know how much trouble Angel has with buttoning shirts. If there's a montage of Angel buttoning up shirts... It'd be a long one. <laughs> um, and age. Okay. So Buffy. Mm. Finally, like Faith, like sort of like shakes it off a little bit and she tries to like acknowledge Buffy. And as soon as Buffy actually makes eye contact with Faith, the look that she gives her is like, <gasps> oh, it is the death stare from hell it is like i haven't seen that death stare until okay you guys don't know her but i had this friend whose sun sign was cancer and she had the world's most icy death stare like if you made her mad oh my god like you didn't want to make her mad. She was the most buffy, the most buffy of all of my friends, for sure. Okay, anyway. Let's see. Blah, blah, blah. Faith sees kid on TV. Okay, I keep going back to the same note. Okay, and then Buffy. Buffy's so fucking self-righteous. Like, at first I was just like, is it just because I'm seeing Buffy out of her normal context that I'm reacting to her like this? Because this whole last part of the episode, I'm like, fuck you, Buffy. Fuck you, Buffy. Why are you such a bitch? Get the fuck out of here. No, you're going to ruin everything. You're, you're going to Wesley this shit. Get out of here. Like, why am I overreacting to Buffy? And it's because she's just written so terribly. Oh my gosh, she's written so terribly. And they put her in, like, the weirdest outfit. Okay, anyway. Buffy's awful in this episode. And she says to Angel, do you have... So, basically, like, at one point, Angel just shoes faith off she he's like oh my god okay buffy's about to ruin everything go upstairs go upstairs go upstairs right now and then so that angel and buffy can fight and buffy says to angel do you have any idea what she did to me angel just says yes um okay now she says that in front of faith like faith's still in the room Faith starts to like get up, like once she acknowledge, once she re like realizes that Buffy's there, and she like stands up and she starts to say to Buffy that she's sorry, and Buffy reacts with, "If you apologize to me, I will beat you to death." That's not characteristic of Buffy. Like, yes, Buffy can be very dramatic and self righteous and narcissistic. Like they're taking character traits of Buffy, but they're turning them up from like a six to a nine and a half in this episode. It is so gross. It is such a misuse of Sarah Michelle Gellar and Buffy as a character. And they had such an opportunity 
they had such an opportunity to have a crossover where Buffy can go back and like she can be pissed off because of course she'd be pissed off. Of course she would be. But her and Faith could actually have a moment of really working their shit out to a certain degree. Like they could tentatively work it out. It could be weird. It could be disjointed, whatever. But her saying that kind of shit, if you apologize to me, I will beat you to death. Is that warranted? From a character that's supposed to be like, Buffy is our Gryffindor. She's supposed to be unfailingly good and moral. That's like the the biggest part of her character. That's what she is. That's what the Slayer is. It's morality. The Slayer is morality. And for her to say that, it's inexcusable. It's inexcusable. Okay, and then my next note is Buffy tries to waltz in and control the situation. <laughs> Why is she shocked when Angel hits her? Okay, then that happens. Okay, so he like tells Faith to go upstairs. And as soon as Faith goes up the stairs, Buffy like tries to stop Faith from leaving. And she hits Angel and then Angel hits her back. And then she reacts as if, as if she were a regular meek little girly girl and her super abusive boyfriend has just hit her. That's how she reacts. Like as if he's never hit, hit her before. Like they've had a lot of physical fights, haven't they? Have they not? It's weird. Um, and he says to her, like, first of all, you hit me first. Second of all, in case you've forgotten, you're a little bit stronger than me. I like that. I like that he said that. I don't know if that's necessarily acknowledged frequently. That that, to me, fits into my head canon of the Slayer is stronger than any individual vampire. The Slayer is stronger. And Angel saying that, in case you've forgotten, you're a little bit stronger than me even on his own show where that's all about like there's a little bit there's a little bit of toxic masculinity like it's amped up a couple of degrees on Angel versus Buffy the show so the fact that he will say that to her in the context of his show I think that's important whatever there's like this scene where Wolfram and Hart goes to talk to Kate for some reason um, Buffy versus Faith. So, okay. Faith has gone to the roof at some point. The Watcher guys are there. Wesley has come in and said, okay, look, this is what's going on. I told him I was helping them. I'm really not helping them. This is what's happening. And Buffy's caught in the middle of all this shit. And Faith has run to the roof. And Buffy goes after Faith. And this is where we get a little bit, like, Buffy's still very closed off. She's very controlling. She's awful. But this is where we get a little bit of interplay between Buffy and Faith. We've got to take our moments where we can get them because they need to work their shit out. And this is the only time we're going to see them working their shit out. The only time ever. So she's like looking over the ledge. I don't, Faith, when Buffy finds her, I don't know if she's thinking about jumping or what, but she's like, oh, then Buffy, fucking Buffy. She says, nobody has ever made me feel like a victim. Uh, what about Angel? He did a lot of shit to you. A lot more shit than Faith has ever done to you. You've never felt like a victim before what Faith did to you? 
Really? <sighs> and then Faith says, she totally corroborates the fact that I was like, Buffy's trying to control everything. Faith is like, you're all about control. Can you imagine the other side of it when nothing makes sense, when nothing feels in control? But can you imagine where I am? And Faith is, or Buffy's listening like a little bit. Like she literally tells her to shut up and interrupts her at one point. But she's kind of listening. Then watchers show up with machine guns. Why do watchers have machine guns? It's just ridiculous. Like it's so ridiculous. Okay. Okay. I could be imagining it, but I kind of, I rewound it a couple of times and watched it. So there's this whole scene on the roof with Buffy and Faith and like the watchers show up in a helicopter. <sighs> it's ridiculous. There's machine guns and a helicopter and they're running from the machine guns. And so you see them kind of running around this roof while the watchers in the helicopter are shooting at them with machine guns. And at one point, they grab hands for a second. <laughs> yes, I rewound it like three times and watched it like, I think it happened. I'm not totally sure it happened. Like it just happened like so quickly. It was such a quick cut that like it's possible that just the two actresses happened to be holding hands just to get through running through the scene and they weren't actually supposed to be holding hands as Faith and Buffy. I don't know. But like... Buffy just immediately, so this, this, this makes me forgive Buffy just a tiny, 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 tiny bit. Like this whole thing, she's being such a bitch. But then as soon as these watcher guys in the helicopter start shooting at them with machine guns, she immediately starts protecting Faith and vice versa. Like Faith protects her first. Like as soon as the watchers show up, it's like Faith noticed like a split second before Buffy and she like jumps on her, whatever. But then most of the scene while they're running and hiding behind things and whatever, Buffy is protecting Faith. It's an instinct for her. And so like, at least we get that, you know, like we got to grab onto these little moments of Buffy not being a total psycho bitch in this episode. And that's all we get really. Honestly, it is. Okay. So I really think they held hands for a second. I just, I just want to, I just want to let you guys know that that happened. <laughs> I just, I mean, if I could have had this whole thing play out the way that I wanted it to play out, it would be like, like I said, a much longer arc. It would, it would end with Faith being a regular on the Angel show, but also the reparation of the friendship between Buffy and Faith would be a huge arc. It would be a thing. It would be a thing that built up slowly and disjointedly with some ups and downs over years. It would have been a thing that was spent serious time on. At the very least, if this episode had still ended the way that it ended with Faith going to prison and choosing to allow herself to be put in prison for a few years, at the very least, we would get some moments of Buffy visiting her like bringing her flowers on her birthday and like having weird little awkward conversations with her because she's really trying to connect with her again and realizing that, you know, she's an important figure in Faith's life. So like at least giving her the time, I don't know, you know, like something. We got fucking nothing. We get fucking nothing between now and season seven of Buffy. So I've got to talk about Faith as much as I can right this very moment. <laughs>
which is why I've had two mugs of wine. Okay. Okay, I'm on my last page. Faith escapes. So at some point during like the whole hel helicopter scene, blah, 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 Buffy tells Faith, stay here. I'm going to draw their fire and whatever, whatever. Like she puts herself in danger for Faith in this moment. So take that where you can. She puts herself in danger for Faith. She protects Faith in this scene, just like without even thinking about it. Like even though she's being like such a colossal bitch, her instincts take over and she protects Faith. She would always, always do that. Like, that's one thing about Buffy. Like, she is so narcissistic. She is so selfish. But, like, without even thinking, she will protect almost anyone that's being attacked. You know? That's why she's better than all of us. Okay. Um, ba, ba, da, 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 da. so she disappears at some point during the scene and they're like what the fuck she's running again what 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 Kate shows up um, she arrests Angel so they end up at the police station like Buffy's like storming in with her crazy curls that are just like over the top um, and they're all like I don't know but they get there, they get to the police station, and Faith is there already. She's waiting to talk to Kate. She saw Kate on TV, and she went, that is a bitch I can trust. Because she respects women. She waited for Kate to make a confession. And because they were there, because she was trying to arrest Angel, they saw it happen. They, they saw Faith. Like, you thought she was running, but really she was just going to pol the police station to turn herself in. And I think this is really amazing and a really important point in her storyline. No one ever suggested to her that she, she should submit herself to the police. They thought the police couldn't handle her, blah, 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 blah. She made that decision on her own. She... Had the whole conversation with Buffy about control and life being out of control. And honestly, I think that that conversation with Buffy was what made her realize what she needed to do. She had a little moment where she was like, what would Buffy do? Buffy would turn herself in, which is absolutely true. The one time that Buffy thinks that she accidentally killed someone, which happens in season six and she didn't actually kill someone. But the one time that she thinks she does, she is going to turn herself in, but it gets thwarted by Spike and whatever. We'll talk about that when we get there. But this is not a spoiler free podcast in case you didn't notice before now. <laughs> it's not. Um, She made that decision on her own. I think that's very important. I think I'm getting ahead of myself. Hold on. Faith escapes. She doesn't want them fighting on her behalf. I'm reading my notes. She knows she'd still be running. She wants to take control for herself, her own life. This is what Buffy would do. I really think she made that realization. I didn't, I didn't realize that until I was watching it this last time, but I think that's what happened. I think she was like, oh... I know how I can take control of my life right now. First of all, all this fucking chaos, I incite chaos wherever I go. I'm going to make everyone's life harder that wants to fight for me. 
So I'm just going to turn myself in. Um, there's like this weird moment that like going back to the helicopter scene where Angel jumps in and he like saves Buffy because she's just decided to draw her to draw the fire away from Faith and she's told Faith to stay behind this thing and then she jumps out and they're like shooting at her from the helicopter and Angel gets to the roof and he jumps on the helicopter and he does all this stupid movie star Tom Cruise heroic shit and Buffy's just like ah look at my knight in shining armor I just had to note that because it was so fucking weird okay anyway Okay. Oh, fuck. Okay. We have to talk about it because that's where we are. So Faith has just turned herself in and they're like, oh my God, that's crazy. And then Buffy and Angel have this conversation at the fucking police station in the hallway next to the stairway or whatever. Oh my God. It's so fucking dramatic. And I wrote this down and then I like scrawled a box around it like 15 times, like to really emphasize it. Angel says to Buffy, Buffy, this wasn't about you. Because <sighs> she's just like, oh God. Buffy brings, oh my God. Okay. So they're fighting, whatever, whatever. They're just like dramatic, stupid bullshit. And Buffy brings up Riley. Like they're fighting and she's just like, you know, I have someone in my life now and it's different. It's different than you and me. You know why it's different? Because I trust him. I know him. Like that's literally what she says. Like, what is this fucking shit? This is not. Oh my God. Okay. Then, okay. I have to bring this up because the passionate nerd on YouTube that I keep citing, <laughs> um, let's be friends, you and me, because, oh my God, he's so insightful. He's so much more well-spoken than me. Okay. He like calls back to this. He's like, what is the deal with the characterization of Buffy in this particular episode? And he kind of takes it back and he's like, okay, well, Buffy does have a history of like bringing things up to throw an angel's face to be an asshole. She does have a history of that. But on the Buffy show, it's always juxtaposo juxtaposed, <laughs> juxtaposed with Buffy being like brought back to reality. Like for example, there was that episode after Angel had come back from hell in season three. Yeah, that would have been the beginning of season three. He came back from hell. And, um, or was that season? No, it wasn't. It was season three. Yeah. He came back from hell and she was telling him right after he's like having post-traumatic hell syndrome. She tells him, I've got someone in my life now. She was talking about Scott, that guy that she tried to date for like half a second. And, you know, like we're, we're dating, like whatever. And as soon as she like makes that dramatic gesture and he's like, what? what what okay like it seemed like a little bit insensitive that she would 
tell him that in that moment but it was juxtaposed with immediately after she told angel that she had someone in her life now scott broke up with her and then the heat cited other examples of like showing little moments where buffy had brought up something specifically to hurt angel and then she was taken down a peg or two like we don't see that in this episode like she brings up riley in the most vicious of ways like ah it's awful like that's just cruel it's just cruel and i realize like like there are people that fight like that that just like get ugly and like when they're fighting they think of like awful 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 things to say just because they want to hurt the other person i i don't i don't get that i don't get that but anyway she's shitty she's super shitty to him and he just basically says this is my town and what i do here is not what you do and we're different now and blah 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 and you should just go and so she leaves and oh god fucking shit and then she at the very end she's like see faith wins again like what i mean okay let's just remember the fact that at this point she's like 19 or 20 at the oldest i think she's probably 19 at this point because this is her first year of college she's like 19 like it makes sense that she would be saying this petty ass shit i guess objectively but buffy has actually lived a lot of years beyond her years so she's actually a lot more mature than she's portrayed in this episode okay i have to shut up i've been talking for two hours and 12 minutes okay okay what else do i even have to say here and then wesley walks up after buffy is like two seconds after buffy has left the scene and he's like what's going on and angel's like uh i feel so bad i shouldn't have been so mean to her and wesley's like do you want to go after her and he's like yes i do so of course there's going to be a crossover so we're going to see angel is it in the it's not in the next episode because we're ahead of ourselves here because i decided to take these episodes out of context so next week on the 25th this is a good transition to talk about the future episodes next week on the 25th we're going to talk about the buffy episode where the wild things are which i think I actually don't remember what the fuck episode that oh my god is that the orgasm wall episode i think it is uh okay whatever i i remember it as being just like a terrible episode but maybe it's not maybe it has redeeming moments that i'm just not remembering that happens and then in two weeks from today right yes two weeks from today we will talk about that would be the episode if we were talking about all of these in order i would be talking about sanctuary and that's when we'll have the crossover episode is it no it isn't that's new moon rising so it's actually three weeks from now that we'll get the crossover episode when angel goes goes after buffy and we see him like be petty towards riley and all of that fucking testosterone bullshit so it's gonna be three weeks before we talk about that anyway so let's get the business shit out of the way then i'm going to talk about the very last shot of this episode and then we're going to do ratings and move on with our lives <laughs> thank you for listening to this crazy long episode i love you guys seriously i do i really 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 do like it brings meaning to my life especially right now in the quarantine times 
like the things that I do, like I have my radio show, I have my tarot reading business, and I have this podcast. And if I didn't have those things, I would be feeling really like listless right now. And it's okay if you feel listless. Like it's okay if you're at that point. Like it's okay. Like we're all in a weird state right now. Like it's okay to accept yourself wherever you are. Just like reach out to people in whatever way you can. Talk to people about what you're feeling because you will find out if you talk to people about how you're feeling right now, especially if you're feeling some kind of way, you'll find out that other people are feeling the same and it will make you feel better. Seriously, reach out. Even if you like don't really have someone in your life that you can talk to about serious shit, like I don't know personally, but if you Google like, you know, psychological hotlines and things like that, there are people out there that you can call and talk to or even text to talk out things even for free. Like this shit exists. You are not alone. No one is alone right now. Like even though we're all like literally having to social distance ourselves, we're not literally alone because we're all in this together. And I know that's like such a cliche thing that a lot of people are saying, hashtag alone together, but it's real. It's a thing. Like we're literally all right now sitting inside our houses thinking about each other. That's the reason why we're sitting inside our houses because we're trying to take care of each other. And our government isn't going to do it for us, but we can take care of each other. And the amazing power that is within that is just, it's incredible. It is incredible. Okay. Almost done with my LaCroix. <laughs> I opened this thing at like two in the afternoon and I'm still drinking it. It's 12.52 AM. Woo. Okay. What was I going to talk about? Okay. Just like business shit. Okay. So like I said, I am back starting next Saturday, one, two, three, four, five weeks in a row. And then we're off for the summer. So we're going to finish out season four of Buffy starting next week, going through every single week through April. And when June hits, we're going to be off for the summer. Let me know if you guys want me to throughout the summer focus on something else. Maybe we could talk about movies. Maybe we could talk about Veronica Mars or some other thing like Star Trek. I don't know. I don't know. Or we could just take the summer off and just chill. <laughs> Are we going to be allowed to swim? I've been thinking about that. Like, obviously we don't know enough about this particular pandemic virus yet. Like, is it... Are we going to be able to swim in pools with other people? <laughs> like, will the chlorine kill the virus? Or are we going to have to swim in bubbles? Like, I don't know. I've been worried about that because I'm not like a super summer bunny, but like, I do like to swim. I really like to swim. And I live in the Midwest, so I don't get to swim in a beach. But if I could swim in a pool, that'd be great. I don't know if I'm going to be allowed to swim in a pool this summer. I don't know. Anyway, everything's weird. I hope you guys are okay. So let's get back into it. So we're going to be 
hot and heavy for the next five weeks in a row. You're going to have to listen to my ass, but hopefully I won't be talking this long because we're going to be talking about an episode at a time from now on. (laughs) I will probably mention since next week will actually be the week that 5 by 5 on Angel actually aired, so I'll probably mention the episode and I might even babble about it for a few minutes, but... For the most part, we've dealt with these episodes. So should we do our ratings? Let's do the last scene. So the very last scene of this episode. So Angel and Buffy have just had a stupid fight. Wesley has just popped in to be like, hey, do you want to go after her? Wink, wink. And he's going to cross over to Buffy. The very last scene, they're talking about Faith. And they're like, I hope she's strong enough to handle it. And... Wesley says, peace is not an easy thing to find. So that's the last words that are spoken in the episode. And then we see like a five second shot of Faith in a cell with like the bars of the prison cell being closed and that like sort of iconic sound effect. And you see her face and you see the complete calm on her face and she's not really smiling but she looks like she looks peaceful she really does she looks like she's gonna be okay and that's a good shot to end on since we're not gonna see her again for three motherfucking years three and that's it okay are we gonna do ratings i guess we should since we're talking about these episodes as if they're as important as buffy episodes So, object of the episode, hmm, I would say Faith's chunky boots, except my Doc Martens are just as good. They're not quite as chunky, but they're pretty chunky. Um, So, I'm going to say Faith's vinyl pants, because I would really like to have a good fitting pair of vinyl pants. Yeah. So, object of the episode, Faith's vinyl pants. Um, Outfit of the episode, any of the outfits that Faith was wearing throughout the episode. But let's go ahead and go with the outfit that she was wearing during the dance sequence. Because she was wearing her vinyl pants, chunky boots, and like a strappy silver shirt. Very sexy. Let's go with that. Um, Quote of the episode... Like, let's just not even, let's just fly right past that. Um, MVP of the episode. At first, I thought I was going to give it to Wesley because he chose to do the right thing in the end, but he was so wishy-washy and they just really didn't give his character enough credit. So I, I just have to go with Angel. Because he really is consistently doing the right thing in this episode. It's like he instinctively knows how to deal with the situation. Even though at this point, all he really knows is what he went through. Not how to do this whole thing. No one helped him through it. He didn't have an example of this. But he instinctively knows how to handle this. And he does a really good job in this episode. Like he doesn't really do anything that pisses me off in either of these episodes. So we're going to give the MVP to Angel. Five by five ratings. Treatment of women. Shit. 
Well, Faith has to go to prison, whereas Angel can just serve out his redemption in a Cadillac, just looking mopey every once in a while. Um, do these episodes pass the Bechdel test? I think 5x5 five five did because of the conversation between Lila and Faith. But did Sanctuary, Sanctuary passed because Buffy and Faith have conversations that are about her, really. So they passed the Bechdel test. But they treat Buffy like the crazy psycho ex-girlfriend. So I'm going to go with two on Treatment of Women for 5x5 five five ratings. As far as enjoyability, I guess that since, we're, since we are discussing the episodes as if they are one, even though individually I like 5x5 five five almost completely, like 100% of that episode, and like as far as Sanctuary, I like about 30% of it. Hmm. They really mishandle a lot of things, so I'm going to give it a three. Which means this episode gets a six altogether. So that's it for my giant discussion of the two-parter of Angel, 5 by 5 and Sanctuary. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening to my two mugs of wine rambling. I am down to three candles. Two of them, well, one of them is almost burned out. Another one of them has burned out. And a third one I had to replace the tea light. <laughs> That's how long I've been talking. You guys are the best. Thank you so much. I will see you next week where we will talk about the Buffy episode, Where the Wild Things Are, which is going to be so ridiculous compared to this heavy shit. I hope you guys are okay. I hope you're all cried out in a good way. Um, I wish you the best. I will be here next week. Bye. 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 Bye.